This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad? Hey, spring break is up, which is pretty great. I am not working this week. I am not sleeping in much either, unfortunately, with dentist appointments and other errand stuff that has to happen, but uh, I'm not working, so. Beats that, yeah. Things are good here. Um, looking forward to a week off in in about two weeks, so uh, get to go home to some warmer weather back in Texas. Yeah, that'll definitely be great. Uh, I know it gets really cold up there around this time of year. Uh, I mean, it's starting to warm up a little bit, isn't it? A little bit, but it's right when you think winter should properly be over, and it's it's not. <laughs> it's just it's it's full spring right now. We get a couple of nice days, and we dress for spring as if it's spring, and then we freeze. So oh, it's, it's yeah, not, as New Yorkers not, do. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into our episode discussion, we have a couple of thank yous. First off, we have a new Apple Podcast review from Welder Mike two four five zero. Thank you for the new review, and we also got emails. Uh, the first email came from somebody who didn't leave a name, but the subject line did have a number. So if this means something to you, thank you to 167-3217. Also, thank you to Greg and to Katie, something I like about that person. Uh, she sent us a speech that she wrote for her class, uh, and the speech is from the perspective of Michael accepting a Dundee Award. So pretty cool. We'll have to get back in contact with you, Katie, or you can get back in contact with us once you hear this or something. And we'll see if we can post that for other people to read uh, because it's really cool. So thank you for sharing that with us. We also just got a lot of nice feedback from people in regards to episode 80, our last episode. Uh, it was just really nice to hear. It was a big episode, of course, with Michael leaving. So um, I know that a lot of people have sort of a stigma about the rest of the office from that point on. So it's it's nice to... Um, have a nice response to that and i hope you all stick with us for the rest of the series and speaking of the rest of the series let's get into our first post michael scott episode discussion it's the inner circle it aired on may 5th 2011 directed by matt Sone, written by charlie grandy now that d'angelo is officially the sole manager he has started to make some changes and with those changes has come the formation of a supposed inner circle those not in this circle that may or may not exist are appropriately disgruntled. Everyone is trying to figure out exactly how to deal with the situation. That's about as vanilla, I think, as you can start off the season. Or not the season. We're, we still are at the end of the season now that Michael's gone. But our first post-Michael Scott era. Which is actually, now that you mention it, I wasn't. I hadn't even thought of this. But that's probably a really good thing to do is not end the season with Michael leaving because then it's fairly final if you finish out the season with a new character with a new mm -hmm. development it's more likely to keep people going through to season eight so actually it's a good point it's probably a, a nice tactic on on their end um to keep viewership d'angelo is trying to to establish himself as head honcho now that michael's gone we saw a couple of instances with michael still around where he was trying to make a couple changes, but Michael was hesitant to let those changes happen. So now D'Angelo finally has the freedom to actually step in as boss and actually do boss things. Um, he's being aggressive with how he addresses people at the start of the episode, but he's still offering them things that they want. For example, Daryl is being sent to night school on a free ride. You're just going to have to deal with it. Toby, you're getting a new chair. And here's a bowl of ice cream. I don't care if it's the flavor you want. Here it is on Ice Cream Thursdays. And everybody's like, these all sound awesome. But D'Angelo has his own talking head where he says, you know, 
I want to find out the difference between who's a good worker here and who's just a good mind reader. I don't want to be figured out. He says, as soon as I'm hearing what I want to hear, then I'm not going to care, which almost sounds a little bit like a Michael Scott mindset. He, he just knows that if he falls complacent into what's happening and everything's just going a little bit too smoothly and I don't know, he's not having to work for it, he's not going to work. But I mean, for me, a hard worker, someone who tells you what you want to hear, I mean, they're both sort of getting you what you want. So I don't really understand what the problem with either of them are, but I'm also not D'Angelo Vickers. No one is, is quite in his head yet, especially us at this point. He's still quite a bit of a mystery. Except Kevin, apparently. Except Kevin, who has figured him out. <laughs> uh, so there's this inner circle but that mm. doesn't exist, right? So it looks like right now it's Daryl, Jim, Gabe, and Kevin, right? <laughs> like why, Kevin? Right, if we think. And the story kind of starts with Pam. She gets nervous that D'Angelo doesn't like her. But hey, he likes Jim, so... Jim kind of jokes with her that D'Angelo talks badly about her in their inner circle meetings that aren't inner circle, but Jim reassures her there is no inner circle. And then there's a talking head with Jim where he says he just, D'Angelo just prefers to delegate some stuff to a few guys. Okay, so he's picked his favorites. At the very least, these are guys, specifically guys, that he trusts. And I say that, I say guys, because Angela, upon hearing that Jim likes D'Angelo, insists that D'Angelo is a sexist. She kind of has some good points. She argues that, well, I'm the head of accounting, and D'Angelo only ever talks to Kevin. Pam and Kelly are also department heads who have not been consulted. They're not part of this conversation, even though they are leaders in the office. So while it is just guys in there, which might not be that big of a deal, he's not consulting the department heads. He's consulting people below them. And the department heads are women. So she does have a point. She does. And the people who are in the inner circle are so desperately trying to cling to staying in the inner circle. They're just parroting everything that D'Angelo does. Uh, so, like, for example, when D'Angelo first introduces the idea of his inspirational juggling routine, he says, they're in the conference room. He says, I do it for you here. But uh, what would you say this room is? 300 square feet? 320? Gabe says, oh, yeah, 320, just uh, just freeballing it. I, I don't think that's a number that Gabe would have picked out of the air on his own. D'Angelo then says, it's a little cramped. How many square feet out there in the main office area? 17, 18 hundo? And Kevin says, oh, I think it's 18 hundo. So, again, this isn't a way people talk, <laughs> unless you're D'Angelo Vickers, I guess. But here, all these people are parroting him and there's other examples of that throughout the episode like there's one instance when d'angelo is trying to prove that he's not a sexist and he raises both of his hands and so gabe and ryan and daryl all raise their hands to do the same thing as d'angelo is doing so he he's got them eating out of the palm of his hands jim's just sort of going along with things even though he's not like in love with d'angelo like the others seem to be and d'angelo's trying to get dwight to warm up with him but with no such luck uh, Dwight, he, he says that Dwight wants nothing to do with him, which reminds me of my relationship with my son. And then he says, except there, I'm the Dwight, <laughs> meaning he wants nothing to do with his son. Yikes. <laughs> I, I don't know. We, I mean, we don't get much story there, but it definitely lends to D'Angelo's, I don't know. I don't want to say backstory. It's like personality. He's just got so much going on about him. He's just really hard to figure out, which I guess is what he's trying to do. I guess. And he's he's not very... He seems to tell some very, very personal stories, but then he doesn't 
tell much else about himself. Like he'll dive into one aspect of his life in great detail, like his weight problem in the past, um, but won't give basic details. It's, he's just a very odd guy. But yes, Dwight is not interested in being kind to D'Angelo at all. Uh, D'Angelo buys Dwight coffee and Dwight immediately dumps it in the trash. He offers to go to the park with Dwight after work. Dwight wrongly assumes that D'Angelo is gay <laughs> and hitting on him and Dwight directs him to Oscar. Like it's just, he just really ha- wants nothing to do with this relationship. Definitely not a friendship. He's just there to work now. And you have to think back to Michael's last Dundies where Dwight was given the uh, promising assistant regional manager award or something to that effect. And so D'Angelo thought that Dwight was going to be much more of an asset, but Dwight's just really not into that idea. Uh, but D'Angelo is insistent early on saying, I'm going to win you over, Dwight. And Dwight says, no, I, I want nothing but to be left alone to continue doing my job well. That's what I do. And I want to be left alone so I can do it. More on that later. But going back to the sexism accusations, D'Angelo, uh, that, that is presented to him through Jim through Pam, I guess, uh, because Jim has an end with the boss being in the so-called inner circle. And so why not just casually bring up the fact that some people think that he's sexist? Well, it turns into a much more awkward situation than it really was intended to be because when Jim walks into the office, the rest of the circle or alleged circle (laughs) walks into the office. And, uh, so Jim is confronting D'Angelo about these problems that other people in the office have with him in front of the entire supposed inner circle and everybody sort of takes offense to it it's like if they're accusing d'angelo of sexism sexism they're accusing everybody of sexism and so d'angelo goes out he confronts it he says raise your hand if you have a vagina so the women like hesitantly raise their hands like i don't know if i want to confess to this but sure (laughs) (laughs) you know i do (laughs) and then he says okay raise your hand if you uh love someone with a vagina and so pretty much everybody else raises their hand i think the only one who doesn't is like stanley if i remember correctly but i think it's just because he doesn't care to participate uh and so d'angelo says oh look whose hands are both in the air. I don't know what that means because the first one was if you possess a vagina. So, okay. I I think it's a metaphor. I think so too, but it's still really strange. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) then on top of that, this whole time they've been searching for a new executive assistant for D'Angelo. And I, I think he is trying to prove he's not a sexist by hiring a woman. And if I had to guess, he picked up the first woman's name that he saw on the stack and hired her. Or maybe if there were some pictures attached to the resumes, the one he thought was the most attractive because the appears to be fresh out of college. Uh, maybe if, it, if she went to college, she's young girl. He hires her name's Jordan Garfield. She doesn't have any office experience at all. And here, Pam has been putting all this work into the resumes, trying to present D'Angelo with somebody who's actually qualified for the job. And here is Little Miss Pretty, not against her, but it's just, you know what I mean? He, it's like he's trying to prove a point mm-hmm. by hiring a woman, and he just picks an entirely wrong candidate to prove that point. It's, it's sort of like, I can't be racist. I have yeah, a black friend. Yeah. It's like, okay, that doesn't prove anything. That's not any sort of evidence. And once Jordan is hired, D'Angelo even uses her to try to mend things with Dwight or start a relationship at all with Dwight, ask if there's anything that Jordan can do for Dwight. But we don't get a ton with Jordan this episode. The next thing really with D'Angelo is when he calls the next inner circle meeting 
and Jim doesn't get a text. Andy does. Andy, who was previously anti-D'Angelo, so it looks like he has replaced Jim in this, quote, inner circle. Jim goes in uh, as if D'Angelo just forgot to text him. And D'Angelo just stares at Jim. It is so awkward. Can I help you? Until Jim just backs out of the room and they continue their meeting. Clearly, message received. You call me a sexist, you're out of the friend group, you're out of the inner circle, whatever this is. Trusted colleagues, he's out. Sort of a should I, shouldn't have I battle in his head on on was this worth the calling out of D'Angelo? Yeah, fortunately for Jim, though, by the end of the episode, he's found good favor again with D'Angelo and is invited back into his office. But at this point, D'Angelo claims that, hey, I can do Michael Jordan's dunk from the free throw line because that's half of what they've been doing in these, quote, inner circle meetings in D'Angelo's office is playing with a little Toys R Us basketball hoop and ball that have been hanging on the back of D'Angelo's office door. And so he says, I could do the Michael Jordan dunk from the free throw line. And Jim says, oh, really? Well, hey, guess what? Remember season one? We've got a basketball hoop downstairs. Uh, let's go do it. And so D'Angelo tries to push it aside and eventually caves and says, okay, let's go do it. And Dwight initially says, you know, I'm not going to go downstairs. I don't, I don't care to see this. And then D'Angelo is fed up. He yells at Dwight and says, damn it, Dwight, enough. Get your ass downstairs or find a new place to sell paper. And he is aggressive. He is in Dwight's face. And Dwight immediately stands up and charges out of the room. And then we see a talking head from Dwight immediately after. He's slightly out of breath. It almost seems like he's kind of sexually excited, which is weird. Uh, he says, okay, a little bit about me. I respond to strong leadership. He responds to it. It's funny that you say that because I didn't get like the sexual anything at all. I got fear and like, okay, so about me, like it's, it's like if somebody, I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't get that at all. I, I really, yeah, I just got fear, but that's a totally like, funny <laughs> spin on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think back to booze cruise when Dwight was super into captain Jack because he had this previous like veteran military experience. True. He, he just yeah. responds well to people who have some sort of authority and yeah. D'Angelo finally exhibited over Dwight, but I don't know, maybe it was just fear. I, I think both of those could work out or <laughs> like a, a weird sexual fear. <laughs> <laughs> Best of both theories. <laughs> D'Angelo gets the vast majority of the office downstairs and he's gearing up to dunk and surely he won't be able to dunk from the three for from the free throw line, not going to happen. He asks Jordan to sit underneath the hoop. She doesn't want to do that because he's definitely not going to dunk. And wouldn't you know it, he dunks. And he celebrates by hanging onto the hoop, which is not bolted to the ground. And it falls and he hits his head on the concrete floor. And that's... Um, and he is broken. He's broken. Yes, that's... <laughs> That's the end of his line for this episode because he, uh, well, actually it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he leaves on an ambulance and everybody's sort of looking on in horror. And Jim's like, now, well, now what? <laughs> because we just, right. we just got a new manager. What are we going to do now? We, we just, this one, I don't know. Like, is he going to die? Like, they don't know. I mean, he's very seriously injured. In fact, he comes back later in the episode 
hospital gown and IV dragging on the floor, mumbling gibberish. I mean, he is not well. This is a serious, <laughs> serious accident. I remember watching that for the first time and being like, what? <laughs> we just got him. We just got him. How How is he already? What are they going to do with this? So something to, to keep watching if you're watching for the first time. Sort of a super interesting spin on this episode. I, I didn't see that coming the first time. I wonder, I, I, I kind of wish I'd been watching when this first premiered. I, I mean, I caught it all on Netflix uh, when, the first time I watched The Office. And I did they advertise Will Ferrell's run on the show as a four-episode arc? like, Or was it just like, hey, guess who's coming in to replace Steve Carell? Will Ferrell. And so everybody just thinks that Will Ferrell's going to be around forever. And then all of a sudden, boom, this happens. I, I really would like to go back and sort of explore how this was, how, how Will Ferrell's involvement in the show was advertised, whether people knew that he was going to have a surprising ending like this. Yeah, because, I mean, not to give anything away, but he's super unwell, and that's the last we see of D'Angelo. Yeah, I, I mean... That's it. Yeah. Yeah, like... <laughs> I, he he doesn't come back. He doesn't get better. <laughs> um, so that's that's his storyline for the show. So um, yeah, I I always thought that was a really interesting and odd ending for his character. But hey, uh, that's that's his character. Mm -hmm. Interesting and odd, and that's short lived. But I think it's a per perfect amount of Will Ferrell involvement in The Office. Four yes. episodes that works for me. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> now the only other real character thing that happens in this episode is with Ryan. Uh, he has his own little sort of story arc with Kelly and D'Angelo. He is unable to quantify what he actually does at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. I mean, heck, I don't know what Ryan does at Dunder Mifflin Scranton at this point. And so in a talking head, he says, you know, without lying, I strongly implied to D'Angelo that I am Kelly's supervisor, which isn't even that much of a stretch because she does exactly what I tell her to. He talks to her about this and says, hey, can you do this for me? Can you lie for me? And she's not happy about it. He says, you know, if you'd been in the same situation with D'Angelo, I would have lied for you. And she says, probably correctly, that that doesn't mean anything because Ryan lies all the time because Ryan likes to lie. And at this point, D'Angelo walks in on the two of them arguing about it and Ryan speaks up at this point and takes charge. He says, hey, Kelly Kapoor, if I don't have those call logs on my desk, we're just going to have to evaluate your future at this company. Kelly sort of meekly responds, sure thing, Mr. Howard. This is what I want to be doing, but sure thing, Mr. Howard. D'Angelo speaks up and says, woof, glad he's not my boss. And as he walks off, Ryan just sort of whispers, you're the best. Thank you. And so that sets up what happens with Ryan and Kelly for the rest of the episode. Yeah, so... Later, Kelly is on the phone with her mom, and Ryan's going to take them out to dinner later. In in Kelly's words, he's not going to stand us up this time. Us up. So he has stood Kelly's mom up in the past. That's unfortunate. And um, in a joint talking head with Kelly, Ryan says, So I am the new customer service supervisor. Kelly adds in, when D'Angelo's around. <laughs> Ryan says, I am also a very dutiful boyfriend when... Kelly says, all the time. <laughs> Ryan, okay, all the time. Yes, I'm a dutiful boyfriend all the time. So this progresses, and Ryan is, I mean, she has, she, she's calling him Mr. Howard. People don't even call D'Angelo Mr. Vickers. Like, it's, it's, it's a serious lapse of, like, character. They, this wouldn't 
be realistic. So Kelly has finally had enough and tells D'Angelo in front of Ryan that Ryan is not her boss and he hasn't had a real job here in years. D'Angelo says that this is all too murky. He likes Ryan and Kelly seems hysterical to him. I mean, given the fact that if my jerk boyfriend decided today that he was my boss for the new manager, I would be hysterical too. (laughs) (laughs) I would be really mad. So I, okay, she's acting crazy. And that's what D'Angelo sees. Let's just keep it how I know it. Ryan is your supervisor. Let's leave it that way. So when D'Angelo leaves that brief meeting, Ryan says, close call. Okay, why don't you just finish this up and leave it on my desk and I will see you at your place around 2 a.m. So, dutiful boyfriend, yeah, right. He's back to um, booty calls and sneaking around. Yep. Unfortunately for Kelly and her mother, the the blackmail, if that's what you want to call it, it sort of was, uh, did not last. And so the dutiful boyfriend does not last. So going into funny moments, uh, we already talked about the cold open. There wasn't a whole lot of funny to it aside from D'Angelo just saying nice things or things that people wanted to hear aggressively. Uh, and then later in the episode, I, I love this. This is like my favorite D'Angelo thing, I think, is when they were looking through resumes and they were making fun of some of the entrants. Jim's like, oh, yeah, this former administrative assistant misspelled administrative and assistant. And then Daryl says, oh, this one put juggling under special skills. And everybody except D'Angelo laughs. And D'Angelo's like, what's wrong with juggling? I'm, I'm an avid juggler. I do it all the time. I've got a motivational juggling routine. And so he goes out to his car and is going to get his juggling equipment to do this display for everybody. And he comes back up and says, I'm sorry, guys. I thought my juggling equipment was in the trunk. It wasn't. And Andy says, of course, Andy says. I got you covered, boss. Used to play with the parabolas myself. And he opens up his desk drawer and he has juggling equipment. He says, got some extra balls. And he throws them toward D'Angelo. And Dan- D'Angelo's just like back and forth like, nope, 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 not going to touch these. He says, sorry, I never touch another juggler's instruments. <laughs> and Andy just gives him this special look like, hmm, don't know about that. And then D'Angelo graces our screens with an invisible no ball juggling routine and it is hysterical at one point he was apparently juggling four balls he says somebody add a fifth ball and so kevin willingly the participant tosses in another ball and so he's juggling five now and d'angelo's just like dance juggling around the room to by the way bring me to life by evanescence (laughs) excellent song choice yeah and, and right before that i think what what was it he said uh we're going on a trip to the danger zone or something like that. And all of a sudden Evanescence plays. It's like, (laughs) yeah. And it's amazing. Even Daryl, who's been sucking up to D'Angelo this whole time is just sort of like ogling, like what is happening? And he goes up to Phyllis and he says, Hey Phyllis, do you believe in me? Because I believe in you. And he juggles (laughs) against Phyllis's forehead. And she's just like, what are you doing? (laughs) Cause it just looks like he's, Throwing yeah, his hands at her so face. so <laughs> good. And perhaps even better, when he finishes and he's ended with a dramatic flirt, a flare and he, he caught one of them on the back of his neck, apparently. Kevin is so impressed. He says he didn't drop a single ball. He's totally bought in. Because how embarrassing if he had I, dropped I know. I mean, <laughs> yikes. What kind of juggler would you be at that point? How dare <laughs> But I think possibly even more hysterical is Pam mimicking 
how hysterical it is. Uh, she says, what is she juggling? A bowling ball and... There's something light and something heavy. Oh, I'm a juggling scarf. eggs and bowling balls. And then she says, I'm juggling with one hand. And I'm juggling with no hands. And she puts both her hands behind her back and just sort of like nods her head up and down. <laughs> I think that is so funny. It's one of my favorite D'Angelo moments across his entire four episodes. I think the juggling bit is so funny. I also love that Aaron was super into this as well. Um, Aaron, yeah. <laughs> Gabe was pretty into it and Kevin was into it. But I think Aaron's just the joy on her face was just... <laughs> She was shining. She was so proud of him for doing this. It's almost like Gabe and, well, I would say Kevin. Gabe, for sure, being so into it, he was totally just sucking up because he's not stupid. But Kevin and Aaron are, like, picturing the real thing in their mind's eye and are just super impressed that he could do this, even though we have no proof he actually could. My next funny moment uh, is possibly my favorite line from the episode. It's Daryl um, talking about how D'Angelo is going to send him to night school to get uh, his, his business degree. Daryl says, the man is paying me to take Chinese. I will say what I need to say, and soon I will say it in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, too. When he is addressing the room about his apparent sexism, D'Angelo turns to Dwight and says, Dwight, what's your take? Dwight says, what's the argument here? NBA? WNBA? One is a sport. One is a joke. I love sports. I love jokes. Room for all. Mm. Eesh, ouch. <laughs> Not good on sexism day, Dwight. <laughs> nah. Pam, I guess this could almost count as a character moment, but she's working on a young adult novel. It's called The Horse Flyer, and it is about a young, quirky 10th grader named, um, what is it, Becky Walters who finds a wounded pegasus in the woods and becomes the horse flyer. So that's her scheme to make <laughs> make the big bucks, I guess. And she's so excited about she's it. She's so excited. Kevin, at the beginning of the episode, we hinted that Kevin was the only one to get in D'Angelo's head. Uh, Kevin says, this all sounds great to me. And D'Angelo just like hard noses at him and he stares at him. He says, but, but I, I could see how some people might think that they're bad. D'Angelo continues to stare, says, I don't know what to think. And D'Angelo just says, that is a, that is a, an astute observation, Kevin. And then we cut to a talking head with D'Angelo. He says, Kev's got me pegged. <laughs> <laughs> and then also Kevin, um, Kevin is so proud to be in the inner circle as well. He says uh, that Jim is only denying being in the inner circle because he's in the inner circle. But he says that as someone who is also in the inner circle. Did you get that, Ma? Your boy, Kevin Malone, in the inner circle, which doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to right. say there's not one. Deny it. <laughs> Did you have any more? I didn't. Like, I think there, there were a few, like, really specific, funny, funny moments. But then the rest of it was just like, let's figure out yeah. D'Angelo. Pretty much, yeah. This is a big um, D'Angelo episode and <laughs> the last one. So. Yeah. Well, going into deleted scenes, then, we, we both this episode and the next one had pretty sizable chunks of deleted scenes. The very first one for the inner circle, there are more of the angry promises of good things that we got in the cold open. Uh, he says, we're getting a pinball machine in the break room and you won't have to pay for it. 
I don't have to hear you complaining about not bringing enough quarters to work to play pinball. <laughs> and then he continues his talking head at the end where he says, Kev's got me pegged. He says, won't be long before the others catch on too. I guess that's it for me. And then he just lets it all go. Like it wasn't a big deal. He says, oh, well, time to stop worrying and start being happy about it. And he kicks up his feet and he knocks his desk into disarray, but he's in a good mood. It's like, oh, well, all the stuff I was worrying about really didn't matter. So, but whatever. D'Angelo offers Dwight tickets to a Los Lobos game. His brother won them and they're going to party bus down together this weekend. Dwight asks if he can drive the bus. That's pretty much the only way he's going to partake in this and when d'angelo says no dwight declines tickets so he really just i feel like he just wants to be in some position of power over d'angelo because as you said earlier d'angelo hasn't proven until this episode hasn't proven his authority over Mm -hmm. dwight um so dwight just wants to have some kind of authority over him if you're not going to do it i will yeah but despite that the next uh deleted scene dwight has a talking head he says d'angelo is a fine manager i'd give him a b It'd be a B plus, except that he makes my skin crawl. Don't know why. It's just equality, I guess. <laughs> Jim, on D'Angelo's orders, is running a meeting about getting rid of the 2010 printers. And he says that he'd rather hear from D'Angelo himself, as Jim is apparently not doing a good enough job. And in the middle of the meeting, Jim gets a text. It's D'Angelo calling the inner circle, and he puts the meeting off and just leaves. Uh, so... Jim's allegiance seems pretty clear at this point. I mean, he just, he comes when he's called. Jim also has a talking head where he's sort of defending D'Angelo. He says, you know, I know D'Angelo's a talker. I think he's just trying to impress everyone. But we, what D'Angelo doesn't realize is that he doesn't have to do anything to impress these people. They are easily impressed. And then Andy, so D'Angelo is, uh, is hiring an assistant, as we said earlier. So Andy wants... To be considered. So under the false name Bernard Andrews, he is applying to be D'Angelo's assistant. He doesn't want to be his assistant, really, but he just wants to change the way that D'Angelo views him. So that's his purpose of applying. Pam says, yeah, if you think that'll work, I'll put your resume in the pile. Do you (laughs) think that will work? And Andy says yes, though he's clearly not super sure anymore. And then we learn later that the former administrative assistant who misspelled administrative and assistant was in fact bernard andrews <laughs> that was that was such a great little so, payoff in that deleted scene maybe not. i love that yeah <laughs> uh, d'angelo approached pam who was organizing the stack of resumes he says do you have the resis which is so obnoxious uh she says here you go and to be extra helpful for you i put them in order of who's most qualified for the job and he looks at it and says you know i can see why you think it would be helpful but there's actually a lot of science in this. And so he scientifically just rearranges and shuffles around the papers on her desk in a mess and then casually stacks them back up. And she just sort of stares on him and he walks off with a stack and, and Jim had said, hey, this way it's fair. There, there's no preconceived organization to it. Uh, and so they have this talking head. She says, you know what? I'm done trying. You can have him. Jim says, you know what? You thought the same way about Michael. And you know what happened? Time passed, and he just named his new puppy after you. And so Pam tells us about Michael's new puppy. I love that this deleted scene exists because it tells us more about Michael after he's gone. It's The puppy's name is Pamela Beagsley. It's a beagle, and she says it's really freaking cute. So two things. One, Pamela Beagsley is an amazing name for a dog. Yes. And two... 
Michael and Jim and Pam are texting buddies, and I think that's awesome. I feel like there should be some kind of podcast extra credit for any listener who names their dog Pamela Beaksley. <laughs> <laughs> Just if you do that, send him a picture of dog because I need that for my life. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> when Phyllis questions Toby about there being some rule in HR against D'Angelo trusting men more, Toby just says, it's hazy. And then Toby has a talking head. I had a difficult relationship with my last boss. I am not eager to create another hostile situation. So he's pretty much just doing whatever D'Angelo wants to prevent another Michael situation. <laughs> uh, more in the, the inner circle, looking through the resume scene, uh, Gabe finds one where the woman's last job was in 1995, but she's proficient in both the net and the web. And he says, sorry, mom's trying to reenter the workforce, but not on my watch. And then Kevin wants to make fun of a resume too. So he's looking down at the one uh, he's got in his hands and he says, he's got this guy, mm, this guy, no, ah, this guy's good. <laughs> so he's like, well, this is good. This guy's a good candidate, I guess. I don't have anything to make fun of. And then I believe the last one. Jim approaches D'Angelo again after the whole sexism thing and says, hey, I just want to make sure that some of the things I said earlier weren't taken the wrong way. All I think I was trying to say is that people in this office are used to things being done one way, and now there's been some changes, and maybe some feathers got ruffled, and I think things are misinterpreted. D'Angelo says, Jim, are you going to understand me if I use a sports metaphor? Jim <laughs> says, I think so, yeah. D'Angelo says, we are a team. I need team players, and I'm not sure you're on my team. That is a deep cut sports metaphor Ooh. right there. Oh, they almost lost me. I barely got it. <laughs> Jim says, I absolutely am. Team Dunder Mifflin, here we go. And D'Angelo says, uh, excuse me, the team is called Team Crazy Snakes, or the Matadors, <laughs> or the Lancers. And then Jim says, well, the Lancers sounds a little high school, right? D'Angelo, yeah, but it's also my favorite. <laughs> Let's see if we can't get you back in the lineup. Jordan, please sew Jim out. And Jordan just sort of, <laughs> it's in D'Angelo's office. It's right, The door's right there. And so yeah. she just kind of motions at the door. and. Jim says, it's okay, I've got it. D'Angelo, Jordan, please, show Jim out. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get this great talking head with Jordan. I do not like working here so far. No. You <laughs> 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 <We> do not. <laughs> yeah. So that's the deleted scenes for this episode. No commentary. But I did have the discussion topic for this episode. <laughs> and it's fairly touchy. I don't know. There's no right way to do it. But if if... Was it inappropriate for Jim to bring up D'Angelo's possible potential sexism? How he phrased it was not good, that's for sure. Should he have mentioned it at all? Is it too early? Does he know him well enough? If he should have mentioned it, was should he just phrase it differently? I, I don't know. He absolutely did the right thing by bringing it up to him. Uh, I think this early in their relationship as employer and employee it's important to set that tone right and if there's any sort of perceptions whether correct or incorrect then they need to be cleared up early so that they don't last and so he did the right thing by trying to approach him the issue was everybody else got called in and d'angelo made a joke about the guys or something about that and so jim was like yes yes that is exactly the problem and that is why i'm frustrated with you right now is because this is just the guys. And 
the, all the women are out there and there's no chance of them coming in here. So that's the issue. You're a sexist. So, uh, I think Jim just maybe let his temp, well, I, maybe not temper. It's not like Jim is yelling at the guy, but he gets a little too irritated with him and doesn't phrase things as delicately as I think he could have. But right again, I just want to say he, he absolutely did the right thing by standing up for the women and trying to get D'Angelo to realize that or how he was being perceived. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think, as you said, early on, it would be much easier to change perception and change habits and stuff like that. So definitely good to bring it up early. I just think he should have probably phrased it differently. Like maybe don't call him outright a sexist. Maybe say, hey, I see you're talking to Kevin about accounting. Angela might know this a bit better as she is the, you know, accounting head. Do you want to talk to her? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like maybe incorporate them. It's, it's, I, I can't imagine doing that myself. I can't imagine having that conversation and how awkward that would be. So props to Jim for getting it and for standing up for it. But it was just poorly timed and poorly phrased and very awkward. Yeah, maybe he should have phrased it the way Phyllis phrased it later in the conversation uh, in the main office room where she said, uh, I just feel like the men in the office are being opportun- or are being given opportunities not afforded to the women or something to that effect. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. definitely a more gentle gentle way of putting it than just being outright called a sexist. It's like right. you don't go up to a racist and call them a racist. Nobody you likes to be told they're a racist. You, yeah, you like right. to – there's something that they're doing that is setting somebody else back or is being unfair to somebody. And so that's a better way to phrase it rather than – giving them the label right they'd get defensive immediately yeah i'm not that yeah so ooh, deep talks okay Boom. next <laughs> up <laughs> okay our next episode is dwight k schrute acting manager uh it aired on may 12th of 2011 was directed by troy miller and was written by justin spitzer who just as a quick aside is the guy who created superstore and it finally came back from its holiday break last week so if you're watching Superstore, get in there. I still need to watch it. It's good. It's good. Dwight has been made acting manager of the Scranton branch while Joe looks for a new manager. He is thrilled, of course, and everyone else is not, of course. He makes drastic changes that affect the whole office. He quickly makes mistakes so grave that he is removed from his post. Meanwhile, Gabe continues to pine after Aaron trying to win her back. The great thing about this episode is it so easily could have been called james halpert acting manager but jim screws up his chance right off the very beginning because he was called by joe at first to see if he'd be interested in taking over as acting manager while they find a replacement and he says nah everybody's happy it turns out that unless you are a criminal or a small child you don't need a supervisor you just come in and do your work and so he says everybody's happy yeah we got a foosball table in the office but People are still getting work done. And so I don't want to ruin this by taking over as manager. And as he's telling Pam that he just turned down Joe, and Dwight is listening, obviously. So when the phone rings two seconds later, everybody knows exactly what is about to go down. And Dwight very seriously answers the phone, Dwight Schrute. And sure enough, it's Joe offering Dwight the exact same thing. So no James Halpert acting manager. It is the stuff of nightmares. Dwight K. Schrute, <laughs> acting manager. And as Dwight slowly enters the manager's office, Jim just says, wait, like, what? what have I, what's going on? What? And Pam asks, what have you done? 
he just watched his future like fall apart and he could have done something about it. Yeah. So yes, Dwight has made he's been in this position for about a week now. We we cut away and we come back a week later and he has made some serious changes. He is making people punch into a very old time clock, which Jim notes that the slot is roughly the size of a finger. He has given everyone new business cards so large that they don't fit in wallets. Everyone now has the title junior employee as opposed to Dwight. Lunch breaks are staggered to prevent wasting time, so Jim's is at 10.30. He says the first hour of the day goes by a lot quicker than the second seven hours. <laughs> There's now a giant portrait of Dwight hanging in the office by reception. They say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning to the flag. There's an honor system for coffee, 50 cents. Blocks on websites, copier codes. It's like a rule city. I mean, Dwight is just implementing a rule in every capacity that he can. And he's obviously enjoying it way too much. He says in a talking head later in the episode from his new tall marble desk that he says, I'll never be more happy than I am right now, nor will I ever be less happy. I'll be at my current maximum happiness for the rest of my life because I'm the manager of the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin. And he pauses for a second and has to correct himself, acting manager. He, he has to remember that this, from the outset, by the definition of his title, it's not a permanent position. He's hoping it'll be made permanent. Uh, there's one point where Jim is messing with him and he says, I'll, I'll fire you. Jim says, well, I, I don't, you don't have that ability. You're just an acting manager. You're not general manager. And so Dwight says, okay, how about this? I'll pre-fire you and then I'll full fire you when I get the job. You know, so Jim, you're pre-fired. Dwight is exercising so much more authority than is actually afforded to him. And it's all about creating an image for himself. And in the context of the episode today, Joe, Joe Bennett, who we actually haven't seen or heard from in a while, is showing up at the office to meet with Dwight and to maybe discuss hiring a new manager or something. I don't know. He says it's just a casual meet and greet. Well, to impress Joe, one of the many decorations he's included in his office is a Beaumont Adams pistol, which is a pistol that Joe collects. And well, it was in a glass case on his desk, but it moved to his hip when a package arrived from his uncle that contained a gun holster. And obviously, he can't wear an empty holster, so Dwight puts the gun in the holster, wears it around the office, and he's called out for it. And he says, guns make me uncomfortable. I don't want that near me. And so after pushing back against it a little bit, Dwight says, okay, okay, I'll put the gun away. I'll put a banana in the holster, whatever. So he takes the gun out. He spins it. And I guess the safety wasn't on, or I, I I wouldn't think there'd be a gun without a safety, but man. If it's old, maybe, I don't know, but he spins it on the trigger guard. <laughs> yeah, and he accidentally pulls the trigger and fires it directly into the ground right next to Andy, which we learn later ruptured his eardrum. So Dwight, not off to a great start as any kind of manager acting full-time whatever he's not off to a good start oh and as you said joe is on her way yeah and dwight is trying to frantically keep his job now so he's panicked he holds a conference room meeting and very similarly to what michael would do he dons a cowboy hat and starts talking like a cowboy and <laughs> quickly realizes that that's not for him it's not a good look for him uh thankfully he realizes that and goes back to acting normal quickly but Toby has to fill out paperwork 
because there was a gun fired in the office. So he starts filling out paperwork and asking questions in this conference room meeting. And Dwight, as I said, is feeling very nervous about losing his job. Uh, and he sort of starts pleading with the people. He says, but look, you guys are my best friends. And I mean that. Managing you for this last week has been the greatest honor of my life. And if you ruin this, I will burn this office to the ground. And I mean that <laughs> figuratively, not literally, because you guys are so, so important to me. I love you guys, but don't cross me. But you're the best. <laughs> and he's just, he's fighting with his two sides of don't screw this up. And I love you. Please don't say anything to Joe. <laughs> like, it's, he's struggling. How much of that do you think is actually genuine? Because, I mean, if you watch everything up to when he says, I will burn this office to the ground, it seems really, really genuine. Um, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I don't think he realizes it's genuine, but I think it is. Okay. So, like, he's sort of speaking subconsciously while not thinking. Okay. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I follow. Yeah. Like, he's, he's trying to schmooze them and like, hey, don't tell Joe. But I think they really are his best friends. He just won't. He doesn't have best friends, you know. Right. He's he just Dwight. doesn't he, want to admit it. He doesn't want to admit it. But truly, if these people betrayed him like that, he would be really upset at, like, at them because he thought that maybe they were closer than that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's genuine, but I don't know that he knows that. That makes sense. Well, his best friends start blackmailing him into keeping this quiet from <laughs> Joe. Uh, Kelly says, I want to go on an American Idol audition tomorrow. Uh, Phyllis wants an extra vacation day. Angela wants pet day back, but no dogs. Kevin wants the food put back in the vending machines. I don't know if you mentioned that earlier, but that was one of the changes Dwight had made where he took all the food and drinks out of the vending machine and was instead sending them down to uh, Dwight's coffee corner or caffeine corner downstairs with Hank. And so he, Kevin says, I want the food put back in the vending machines. And then Pam says, you have to get rid of all of your weapons, including, I don't think we mentioned this either, the piranha. He's got a piranha in a fish tank in his office. So you got to get rid of that too. And he called it a rescue. <laughs> I'm sorry. Does that mean you picked this thing up out of the Amazon? I, like, <laughs> I don't, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't know where piranhas live. Don't. Look that up. I don't know if they live in the Amazon. Okay, it's continue. The, the Amazon. <laughs> don't you remember finding email? It's a piranha. A... They live in the Amazon. Oh, okay. Boom. Good. Okay. Subconscious finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yay. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I learned so much from Disney. I don't think I'd know the direction of the sun <laughs> rising if it weren't for Beauty and the Beast. Fair. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> So everybody has semi-serious demands, except for Jim, who says, you have to work in Shagadelic, baby, into conversation with Joe at least three times. And every time, like, every time I cough, you have to do jazz hands. And he has to explain to Dwight what jazz hands are. And the next day, I think it's the next day, when Joe shows up, it goes about as expected. And uh, it's a madhouse. And Dwight is just pulled in every direction because he's trying to please everybody and he's doing his job really poorly because of it and is making himself look like a fool in front of Joe. And so Dwight eventually confesses and says, because I care too much about this job to be blackmailed into doing it poorly, I accidentally fired a gun in this office earlier today. And she's understandably upset. And she removes him from the acting manager position. She doesn't say, you can finish your tenure here and fulfill the role you've been in which you've been placed. 
but you're not going to get the full-time job. She just says, no, you're not getting the full-time job and you're being stripped from this one. And she flat out tells him, you don't fit the job. And I feel pretty badly for him because he says, all I ever wanted was to be manager here. And we know that he's telling the truth. We've seen that for seasons now. And he knows that in telling the truth to Joe now, he it's going to hurt him. Uh, and it means he won't be able to do all he ever wanted anymore. And as she walks out, he just sinks to the table. He's on the verge of tears as Joe leaves. And I feel really badly for him. I mean, yeah, he messed up, but it, it, still, it still sucks for him. I think it's admirable the reason that he told Joe. Because he didn't want to be blackmailed into doing a job that he loved so much. He didn't want to be blackmailed to mm -hmm. do it poorly. Because he couldn't focus on the job when he was just giving in to everyone's demands. That's not the job. The job is running the company or running the branch. So I appreciate that it, it didn't come from the other people. It came from Dwight, who it should have come from. Joe then assigns Gabe, Jim, and Toby to her search committee. They are in charge of finding the next manager. So she says until then, though, they need a new acting manager to replace Dwight. And she wants to go based on seniority, <laughs> even against their advice, against the, the, the three guys' advice. So who is the most senior person in the office? Well, who's been there the longest? It's Creed, yes. of all people. Jim's like, I don't know if you want to. She said, this is how I'm doing it. So Creed, Creed <laughs> Bratton is now acting manager at Dunder Mifflin. That's going to go so well. I'm so excited. <laughs> and then we get this great little moment between Jim and Dwight. Dwight is really sour and, and upset. And I mean, I would imagine no less. Jim says, well, you do know that Joe was right to take the job away from you. I mean, there's no debating that. You fired a gun. But I will say in your one week, every single one of the orders went out on time. And I think that is shagadelic, baby. <laughs> so it's a little bump for Dwight. It's like, hey, your tenure wasn't long, but you did a good job. We succeeded mm -hmm. while you were here. It's great. It, it, it's, a, it's not an apology from Jim for treating him the way he did the past couple of days. Because, I mean, though Dwight did a good job of the actual business stuff getting done, he wasn't nice to his employees. No. But it, it's just a nice way of saying, hey, yeah, you're not in the job anymore, but while you did do it, you did it well. And that's really all Dwight wanted to, to hear. And it, it's just like an affirmation. Like, yeah, it sucks that I'm not doing it anymore, but while I did it, I, I was successful. So uh, good for him. And I, I'm glad they had that moment as well. The other story thing that happens in this episode is more Andy, Aaron, and Gabe drama. Uh, Andy and Aaron are still good friends and they spend time together at reception. That sounds familiar. Uh, and Gabe pulls Andy into the conference room when he sees them hanging out together and he closes the blinds and he turns to Andy and says, are you still in love with Aaron? Because I am. And he starts crying. He says, I can't be alone anymore. Do you like being alone with me right now? And he says, no, this is horrifying. <laughs> and we're only getting glimpses of this through the blinds. It's, it's hysterical. He says, I have to get her back. Are you still going to date her? And he says, no, we're just friends. And Gabe jumps on that. He says, you're just friends. Oh, do you promise? And he says, sure, I promise. We'll never date again. Now, we don't know necessarily Andy's true feelings or Aaron's true feelings, but we could make some assumptions just based on how they've 
acted around each other in recent episodes. And so later, when Andy and Aaron are hanging out in the kitchen, Gabe interrupts by saying, Hey, Andy, did you tell Aaron about our conversation earlier when you said you would never want to date her again? Not what he said. I just thought that it was so interesting that you promised that. And Aaron, I mean, bless her. She doesn't really react one way or another. She's just like curiously standing, staring on Andy like, well, what, what did you say? What did you mean? And Andy says, yeah, I did say that earlier because you were crying, Gabe. You were in hysterics and my maternal instincts kicked in. I don't know if men actually have maternal instincts, but. Uh, we'll give this we'll give this one to you, Andy. <laughs> and he says, "Is it actually how I feel?" And do you think he might say, "No, I I do want to be with Aaron," but we already know Andy is not that upfront. He says, "Yes, that is actually how I feel. I don't want to be with Aaron." Or, no, that is between me and my diary. <laughs> He's just trying to stay on the fence. He's trying to not be obvious with his feelings with Aaron and Gabe. Uh, so that, that's the setup for that. And then Gabe walks up to Aaron in in the middle of a phone call that she's on and he hangs up her phone. How romantic. Which, okay. Rude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And begins to profess his love for her. He goes into this long speech about not believing in much, but because of her, he believes in love. And I want to go into more than that in the funny moments because it's quite funny, but it was meant to be romantic and it's just not. But the phone is ringing, probably the guy that Gabe hung up on calling back, and he can't get through his prepared speech because it messed up his rhythm, the phone ringing, and it's all just very awkward, and Aaron doesn't, again, react one way or the other. She's just like, I, I don't, she's so clearly kind of disgusted by him. She even said in the past, what did she say? Like, she more or less said, I can't touch him, I can't kiss him like she's just not mm-hmm. attracted to him at all and so here he is professing his love and she feels nothing and what she does feel is kind of right gross <laughs> she just isn't into this guy anymore and and here he is embarrassing himself in front of the entire office yeah and she even says in a talking head in this episode i'm taking a break from dating she says gabe was a great guy with so many wonderful qualities but it was a challenge being touched by him <laughs> right not not the goal <laughs> right and also worth pointing out that uh, when Aaron offers to go with Andy to the hospital after his ear uh, his eardrum ruptures, Gabe stops her and says, no, we can't be without a receptionist. Now more than ever. It's answering a phone, but okay. I mean, not demeaning Aaron and her role in this company, but it's answering a phone. Voicemail. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, so I think that kind of wraps up both storylines for this episode. Mm-hmm. Funny moments. So the cold open, a few people are deciding what to get D'Angelo, who is still in the hospital, apparently in a coma now. They decide that flowers are out. They'll be dead before he wakes up. (laughs) Dwight suggests, I know, it's like, okay, A, how long are you expecting him to be out? (laughs) Also, apparently he's gone into a coma since the last time we saw him. Right. Yeah. He's okay. I, I don't know if it's medically induced. I don't know if he's planning on, well, I I'm sure he's planning on coming out of it. I don't know if they're planning on for him to come out right. of it, but he is not doing great. Um, but yeah, flowers are out. Dwight suggests a knapsack filled with canned goods, a chainsaw, gasoline, and an emergency radio in case he wakes up post-apocalypse. So clearly Dwight doesn't think he'll be well anytime soon. So then once Joe calls Jim and he declines the manager position and Joe calls Dwight, 
We see Dwight, of course, enter the office and sit down at the desk, and then Dwight calls Mose to tell him that he has been made acting manager. He says, Mose, you'll never guess where I am right now. And that's all Mose needs to <laughs> surmise that Dwight has been made manager, and Mose just screams. That is so on the great. Phone. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. In his morning announcements after they've said the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, Dwight says, Joe Bennett, our CEO, will be here today for a high-level meeting involving Gabe and myself. And Aaron says, ooh, about what? Dwight says, that's on a need-to-know basis. Aaron says, well, I thought I needed to know for your calendar. And Dwight just quietly answers, general meet and greet. Yep, high-level meeting, general meet and greet. Dwight says, I expect you all to be on your best behavior, which means none of you will be insubordinate, nor will you foment insurrection. Jim says, well, question, if we've already fomented insurrection, may we be grandfathered in? <laughs> Dwight says, define foment. Jim says, you define foment. <laughs> and Dwight quickly changes the subject. <laughs> foment, instigate, or stir up. I looked it up too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look at us. Research. Doing our research. <laughs> when he admits to Joe at the end of the episode that he accidentally fired a gun in the office, uh, Dwight tries to sort of defend himself. He says, it was a Beaumont Adams, if that helps. And Joe says, Beaumont Adams is a girl's gun. That just makes it plain stupid. <laughs> Make it feel worse about himself. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Kelly is late for work. And when Dwight asks why, she says, it's none of your business. It's medical and personal. And he says, okay, well, stop me when I have reached the diseased area. So he points at the, at, at the floor at her feet and slowly moves up her body, stopping, oh, you know, just under her hips. <laughs> And um, right about there, stops for a long time. She shakes her head no. And he gives her a look like, mm, really? <laughs> and <laughs> we, we can surmise what he thinks is wrong. Jim's whole arc through this episode, this is a really funny Jim antagonizing Dwight episode. There's a conversation where Jim is hanging up a poster on the bulletin board in between the bathrooms uh, that says... The fist, or join the fist, and it's just a picture of a fist. And so Dwight walks up as he's hanging this flyer, and he says, hey, hey, what do you think you're doing? What's this? What's the fist? Jim says, oh, it's just a social club, you know, like the, like the French Revolution, or the Black Panthers, or communism. Just a club, guys talking, you know. Dwight says, you expect me to believe that you're starting a rebellion? Jim says, nope, social club. Gosh, I hate when everybody calls us a rebellion. And <laughs> this is genius. Daryl walks in at this point. And Jim raises his fist in greeting and in Dwight's eyes in solidarity with the fist, with the social club or whatever. And so Daryl just casually, yeah, sure, raise my fist at you too, like greetings. And Daryl thinks it's weird, but Dwight's like, oh, snap, people are in on this. And Dwight says, okay, you know what? I would love to join the fist. And Jim says, and we would love to have you, but not today. Unfortunately, it's a bad day. What with Operation Overthrow and everything. But I have noted it. <laughs> and at this point, Dwight tears the sign down after Jim has left. And Dwight goes into the bathroom. And then Jim comes back into the kitchen area. And he hangs two signs in its place. It is so funny. They're duplicating Dwight and Jim. Another great moment. Dwight says that Joe's coming in today. and. I can't have any subordinate trying to make me look stupid, okay? I need you to promise me that you'll be on your best behavior. Jim says, I promised other people that I would be on my worst behavior, and I gave them my word, so... <laughs> and then uh, that's when 
Dwight threatens to fire Jim and has to then pre-fire him because he doesn't have firing powers. And then there's a Jim talking head where he says, if I thought there was a real chance that Dwight would be a permanent manager, I would have pre-quit. And you might be saying to yourself, well, that's pretty premature to think, but I always say it's better to be pre-pre-pre-prepared. <laughs> it's really funny to me that Andy's main concern after his eardrum is burst is that he can't sing perfect C. <laughs> he's just trying and he just can't hit quite hit that note and that's his biggest concern and then as everybody says okay you need to go to the hospital and so after gabe shoots aaron down and says you can't go we need a receptionist daryl says i'll take him so daryl comes up to andy's desk and andy like clings to daryl and pulls himself up and like tries to limp along with his arm around daryl and says daryl says what's wrong with you and andy straightens up and he says my ear. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you don't need to limp right now. It's your ear. That is the issue. Oscar, during the Pledge of Allegiance, pointedly leaves out under God and stares defiantly at the camera. Uh, Kevin doesn't know the Pledge of Allegiance and Angela ends it with <laughs> Amen, <laughs> which I Yikes. like. Amen. And uh, just because you mentioned it, that's not the only instance of somebody exhibiting... Signs of atheism, I guess you would say, uh, when Gabe confronted, or not confronted, that's the wrong word, confessed to Aaron his love at reception. He says, I may not believe in a lot of things, uh, despite my disbelief in horoscopes and in Christmas and in God. He says, I don't believe in God. And everybody just sort of stares at him in shock. <clears throat> and he says, oh, okay, maybe, maybe there's a God. I don't know. I mean, it's just not a guy with a long white beard. And Aaron continues to look shocked. And he says, or it could be. I mean, it's possible that that is exactly what, what, what God is. <laughs> it's like, this isn't what I was trying to accomplish with the speech here. I didn't expect you to focus on me saying this one thing. So I will renege a little bit so that I can re-put my focus on our love. When Gabe is crying near and at Andy in the conference room, uh, he says he needs a minute before leaving because he doesn't want people to know that he's been crying. So when he does leave, he's all tear streaked and red and absolutely grinning <laughs> slash grimacing. It's just the most comical. <laughs> like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I, <laughs> he's clearly not fine. <laughs> I wrote that he contorted his face into something that somewhat resembles a, a smile. Yes, it's just teeth. <laughs> and Andy leaves just looking pained. Uh, Toby was so excited to be using the gun violence form in the incident report binder because he's never used it before. And then when he was filling it out, he was even more excited at the thought that he might have to use the act of terrorism booklet too. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I've so never happy. done this one before. When Dwight has taken the food out of the vending machines, Creed says he put some snacks in the freezer for everyone. And Pam says, you mean the frozen mice for the piranha? Creed says, no, 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 the blueberry slurpy pouch. And Phyllis just understandingly, kind of smilingly says, he needs the ice pack. <laughs> no. Like, she has either seen this happen or, like, I don't know, but she knows what he's talking Oof. about. When Gabe is trying to confess his love to Aaron, the phone is ringing because, remember, Aaron or uh, Gabe just hung up on whoever Aaron was talking to. And so they call back and it just continues to ring. It rings and rings and rings, no voicemail. And Gabe says, hey, hey what's what don't we have voicemail what's the deal aaron says dwight doesn't trust robots to give us our messages yeah 
Okay. All right. Meredith thinks that everyone should make a list of what went missing for insurance purposes, you know, from mm-hmm. the gunshot. She claims to have lost a necklace, earrings, and a painting. So that's advantageous, to say the least. <laughs> Kevin, in blackmailing Dwight to get what he wants, he says, I want you to put all the food back in the vending machines except the fruit. At this point, Dwight says, I've already put all the food back. And Kevin repeats himself, everything back in the vending machine except the fruit. <laughs> no fruit. Not acceptable. Uh, possibly my last one. Daryl admits to playing a little prank on Andy <laughs> while they were in the hospital waiting room. Daryl was moving his lips silently to convince Andy that he was totally deaf rather than partially deaf. Daryl said that Andy kept referring to himself as a gunshot victim, and it just got to Daryl, so he had to now, do it. <laughs> question. Would Andy have not been able to hear everything else that is happening? Right. The background noise, the people talking. I, wonder, I wondered that too, but I think and- he's never been yeah. deaf before. I don't know if he knows how Proximity it works. Proximity deafness. <laughs> that's what it is. Uh. Yes. <laughs> Close proximity, um, somehow. Dwight. He remember Pam said he had to get rid of his piranha too. So Dwight tries to flush the piranha down the toilet rather than do something productive with the piranha or give it to a pet store or something. And so he dumps it in the toilet, walks out carrying the empty tank. And then Kevin goes to the bathroom right after Dwight has left. And we hear him shout, what the F is that? (laughs) And he runs out of the bathroom holding his pants up. He's just like cursing. Like what? What?" And he just leaves clutching his (laughs) pants. What was that? I mean, I can't imagine. No. <laughs> no. You look down and there's a, a fish with teeth looking up at you. Stanley, early in the episode, pours himself a cup of coffee from the kitchen. And right above the coffee maker in the kitchen is now a sign that says 50 cents, honor system. And there's also a camera pointed at the coffee machine. So honor system, not really if there's a camera there. But Stanley, either way, just sort of rolls his eyes and walks away without paying anything. And then my last one is when Kelly is saying, hey, I want to go on my American Idol audition tomorrow because you just shot up the office. Dwight says no at first. And she says, "Okay, well, I'll just do my audition song here. Why did my temporary boss go on the shooting spree? (laughs) It's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. And then, of course, he relents. (laughs) Fine. We, as you mentioned, did get several deleted scenes this episode. Whole bunches. We got more of Dwight talking about the decor, all the new decor in his office. More about his slash Uday Hussein's desk. Of course, I don't think we mentioned that in the main episode. Um, He got a replica of Uday Hussein, his desk, who who is, of course, Saddam Hussein's son. So Dwight admits that he doesn't um, agree with his actions, but he likes his style. So I guess he, he gets a desk. <laughs> and he says, try growing up with a father like that. <laughs> I did, but on a smaller yes. scale. I, okay, I okay. guess. Much, Much smaller. smaller. He has a 3D wolf. There is a samurai costume, isn't the right word, but a samurai uh, armor, I guess. Mm-hmm. There is a letter opener, or is it? And he takes it and stabs the desk. He warms his feet by the electric fireplace, and he feeds his fish a chicken leg. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. carnivore indeed. Kelly was late because she was signing up to audition on American Idol. She says, I think I have a pretty good shot, but my only fear is that they say you can't have talent representation. 
which I do. And we cut to, of course, Ryan and his talking head. He says, I have three clients, Kelly Kapoor and these twins I found who are really hard to look at, but harder not to. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then later we see Ryan conducting an agent-related business call in Dwight's office, and he tells Dwight to close the door, not inviting him into his own office. Yeah. Dwight has a talking head. He wants to convince Joe to make him permanent manager by raising efficiency. No conference room meetings, no internet. He shows us a high-power cell phone jammer that he got off the black market and said that if he keeps it too close to his genitals, his children could have freakish mutations or powers. And so he lowers the jammer. And waits. (laughs) This isn't going to turn your kid into Peter Parker. This is going to have more serious (laughs) mutations. Pam suggests to a group in the break room that maybe they should talk to Joe about the internet restrictions. And Oscar says, what are we going to do? Say to Joe, Dwight won't let us watch sneezing animal videos online anymore. Fire him. No, this is our life now. Mindless drones working for a machine. And Phyllis says, it's like that movie. What is that movie with that actor? He's in that one big movie with that lady, one really huge movie with that black actor who's been in a bunch of things. No, he's not black. He's the one who, oh my gosh, this is why we need the internet. (laughs) I'm going bonkers. I can't take it. And Oscar says, it's just a movie. And then to to close out the scene, Kevin says, the lady and the black man. (laughs) And Phyllis just says, yeah. (laughs) That must be it. And then again, in a later deleted scene, Dwight says that the internet has been malfunctioning Uh uh-huh sure and he's fixed it phyllis runs to her desk to look up the answer she was talking about keanu reeves so there you go i did not look up what movies she may have been talking about but (laughs) i assumed it might be the matrix but i don't know for sure the matrix is probably the huge one yeah jordan is reading over jim's shoulder trying to figure out what he's doing as per dwight's instruction He tells her that he's processing an invoice on a deadline, and she admits that Dwight has asked her to compile a list of what everyone's secretly up to. Jim says that he'll take that assignment from her. He'll finish that for her. (laughs) He takes her clipboard and asks if Gorilla has two R's. Jordan asks, the animal or the soldiers? Jim says, both, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And that pays off later. We can go ahead and jump to that. Jordan is reporting to Dwight the fake report that Jim wrote up. She says Toby was bitten by a spider, but he seems stronger than ever. Phyllis was selling a bunch of beet futures. Oscar was on a geological website, checking into the seismic pressure under the building, which had increased to a 39.5. At this point, Dwight freaks out. He says, she says, what? Is is that a problem, 39.5? He says, oh, gee, I don't know. Is a mega volcano a problem? And... Jim is, of course, laughing in the background listening to this happening. And then Jordan has a talking head where she says, there's one guy in the office who's pretty funny. She seems kind of smitten with a a certain salesman. Nope. Stay away. Yep. Also, a Jim talking head right before that, he says it was kind of a bummer moving Uday's desk into Dwight's office. But (laughs) he's remembering that it won't be that long until he helps Dwight move it back out. He's trying to treat everything in between like entertainment. Gabe approaches Aaron at reception and says, hey, are you okay? She says, yeah, I'm just worried about Andy. He says, oh, yeah, I, I hope you can still have kids. What's he insinuating with that? Is he insinuating that they're going to sleep know. together and she's going to have his kid? I, I don't know what. It's it's strange. I don't know if it was like an injury-related thing or... I, I, I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. He says, you know, I've been watching those Pixar movies that you always wanted us to see. 
And if you shut off your critical thinking, they're not half bad. Them some fighting words, Gabe, but uh, we'll get to that another time. He says, won't it be funny if when we left tonight, all the office supplies came alive? So like the highlighter and the stapler were best friends, high in stape, and the shredder would be a murderer and he'd kill paper, but the paper couldn't move because it was stationary. Feel better? And she doesn't look like it. She almost seems horrified that Gabe managed to turn Pixar into a horror story of sorts. <laughs> yeah, she, of course he did, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So she's just, yeah, fine, thank you. He says, this is the kind of stuff that you could expect from me from now on. And then he takes the highlighter and is trying to like flirt or be cute or something. And he marks her nose and says, neon nose. And he just smiles and walks off. And then later we get a Pixar poem that he wrote to Aaron. Oof. You charm me with a smile, a wink. You make me laugh like Monsters, Inc. We'll go and eat some ratatouille. I sure hope it's not too chewy. I'm Nemo in the Great Blue Seas. I'm Woody. Be my Jesse, please. But before he can go any further, Aaron interrupts him, and he just begs her to take him back and apologizes for saying that she spends too much money on stickers (laughs) and tells her that he'll take her to a water park. He says, they scare me, but I'll do it. Uh, And then she says, I just have to be single right now. He counters that by saying, you'll be lonely and you'll be scared at night. The world is terrifying. She says, if anything happens, I'll call Andy. Ouch. (laughs) And if he's not around, I'll call you, Gabe. Or the police. Or the police. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who I should be calling first. And then Aaron has a talking head saying, what a relief. Finally, some closure. It doesn't seem like closure. Not for Gabe, anyway. So... We get more of the office's demands on keeping the gunshot silent. Daryl says, hey, Dwight, D'Angelo was going to have the company pay for my business school, and I expect you to honor that promise. And Dwight says, I said I would teach you everything you needed to know. And Daryl says, it's not the same. Aaron wants a brand new nameplate. Stanley says, I don't feel safe here anymore. I want to telecommute from home. It's a safety issue. Dwight says, fine. So Stanley's out of there. And Creed says, I want your eyes. Dwight just says, what? Creed says, not now, after you die. And then he goes to a talking head with Creed. Dwight has the most beautiful eyes. <laughs> and then Dwight, uh, back in the office, says, okay, fine. And so he announces to everybody, I hereby bequeath my eyes to Creed Bratton upon my death. You're all witnesses. And so when Dwight dies, apparently Creed's going to get the eyes. And uh, Dwight closes that off by saying, in a talking head, when negotiating, the general rule is not to cave. But since when have I ever played by the rules? <laughs> Oscar has a talking head. He doesn't really feel unsafe around Dwight. He says Creed is more likely to kill him than Dwight is. And then, of course, Creed has a talking head. Yeah, he's right. I <laughs> am <laughs> oh, yeah, more likely. And then we get this talking head between Jim and Pam. And Pam says, it's not like Dwight did it on purpose. He did once pepper spray Roy to protect you. Jim says, oh, so we're just going to give Dwight a free pass for shooting up the office just because he's less violent than the goon you were engaged to? Pam takes a little bit of offense to that and responds, Roy was a lot smarter than Katie, though. Wow, Katie, that's a name that we have not heard since season two. And Jim asks, how did this become about that? (laughs) (laughs) It's the mo- I was so random. I did not expect to see or hear that name in the deleted scenes in season seven. I know. Holding on to that baggage, Pam. <laughs> Joe asks Andy what happened to his ear, and 
Dwight kind of gives him a warning look, like, please don't say anything. So Andy lies and says that a bee flew into his ear, and he had to jam a fork in there to get the bee out. Mm -hmm. Joe says, all right, take care of yourself. That's not good. And then Joe asks where her favorite is, where Angela is hiding. Angela emerges, smiling, clearly happy that Joe likes her so much. This isn't something that we've seen before, that Joe has a favoritism towards Angela. And then Joe comments on how small she is, and she says, it's fun to look at you so small. <laughs> she just is. And then Joe asks Dwight, I love this, to grab her stuff. Once he's grabbed everything, Jim coughs. And you know what that means? Dwight has to drop everything and do jazz hands. <laughs> Joe asks if Dwight's okay, and he immediately says, shagadelic, baby. <laughs> I'm so glad we got that deleted scene because we didn't get Dwight saying it in the episode. Yeah. Okay, so he's fine, shagadelic baby, and he picks everything up, and Jim coughs again, and he just has to, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> Jazz hands again. <laughs> Joe has a talking head, and she says, it, it, it took me a second to figure out who she was talking about. I had to watch it twice, I think. She says, first idiot follows some ding-dong to Denver. That's talking about Michael. Next idiot dunks himself to death, D'Angelo. So I, I did D'Angelo die? I don't, I don't know if that's confirmation or not, but I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> And then she says... Near, nearly to death, anyway. Yeah. Then she says, my new idiot almost kills all the rest of these idiots. You know who I think would do a good job? A no-nonsense fellow from China. Oh, who am I kidding? A billion Chinese, and I'd find the one idiot. <laughs> she doesn't have a whole lot of faith in her luck. And I believe that was all the deleted scenes, correct? Uh, yeah. And then we also got a commentary for this one. It had Mindy Kaling, who is actually in on a Skype call, which feels very familiar. Mm -hmm. Angela Kinsey, Justin Spitzer, who wrote this episode, Ellie Kemper, and Steve Healy, who's another writer for the show. Uh, Mindy from the get-go said this is possibly her favorite episode written by Justin Spitzer. He's written several. And then she said it's possibly even her favorite episode of the year. Uh, and she and the others confirmed that this was just a favorite of the writers in general because we finally got to see Dwight as the boss and how he would perform in that role. There was originally a bit where Dwight was going to make everyone <laughs> pledge allegiance to the flag next to the giant portrait as they did and then remove the flag one day so everyone's just pledging allegiance to him <laughs> <laughs> they pointed out that there's a new opening credits for every episode after steve left for the rest of season seven and i didn't know i don't know if i'd noticed that before so i'll have to go and intentionally watch uh, the last three episodes of season seven just to see how the the opening credits change Kelly was lying about being sick as a reason to be late to work, as we saw in the deleted scenes, but people kept tweeting, wondering what's wrong with Kelly. They thought she was pregnant or sick or something, which is uh, not the case, as we learned in the deleted scenes. But in the main episode, we didn't get that confirmation. Uh, to make Gabe's eyes red in the scene where he was crying in the conference room with Andy, they actually sprayed, they, they said it was some sort of sulfuric stuff in his eyes to, to make them react in red and splotchy. And Angela spoke up and said, they actually tried to use that stuff on me once because there was a talking head where I was supposed to cry. It had been several takes. And so they were trying to be consistent. And so they sprayed it in my eyes, but her eyes didn't react to it. She said that they, <laughs> the, they freaked out a little bit because, oh, you're, that's never happened to me. I've never had anybody not react to this stuff before. All of the paraphernalia in Dwight's office was supposed to be used as a way to introduce the gun subtly, which was pretty cool. So that way... People didn't expect Dwight to shoot the gun because there was a gun, a knife, a samurai suit, a new desk, a new poster, all this crazy stuff. So the gun was just another thing. So you didn't expect, yeah, 
It was cool. That is so great because there's a concept in storytelling called Chekhov's gun, where if there's a gun that shows up in one scene, you better fire it in another scene or something to that effect. And so they tried to throw off that instinct that we have as viewers to where if we see a gun, we're going to expect that somebody's going to shoot it. Right. So that's really cool. Angela talked about how awkward the Gabe confession of love to Aaron was uh, to witness in person. And they talked about how Gabe, and I love this sort of thought process, they said Gabe is sort of living in his own romantic comedy kind of thing. And he's having his own romantic comedy type moment when he's confessing this to Aaron the way he is. But because he's Gabe, it's not fun and romantic and sweet. It's just really creepy. (laughs) It's how well Zach Woods, I think that's his name, Zach Woods plays that character. So the samurai suit, there was an unused scene where Rain, as Dwight, starts messing with the suit and he's putting it on and untying it and beating it with a sword. (laughs) And what he didn't know is that that samurai suit cost something like $10,000 for whatever reason. And the props team was freaking out. (laughs) being like, oh, please, please don't ruin it. (laughs) Oh, it's so expensive. (laughs) The gun firing scene was originally going to be the act one break. TV is typically divided in like a act one, act two, act three structure. Uh, So it was originally going to be the act one break. But they thought it would be more fun to see Dwight in charge for longer. And so they focused on that for the first act, and they moved the gun firing to the end of Act 2. So really, the bulk of the story of the episode comes in the, the second half or in the, the third act of the show. They also talked about actually having Dwight accidentally shoot Andy, not in a major way, a minor, a, f- a flesh wound, <laughs> a minor injury, uh, but they decided that would be a little bit too, a little bit too intense. So a eardrum injury would would do right the the way they they cut to break they didn't want you to think that somebody had actually gotten like seriously hurt right uh there was discussion even over whether andy would say punctured my eardrum because he didn't know if that phrase would sound painful or would sound icky or would gross people out or whatever and so they toyed with the wording a bit at one point it was even my eardrum, she no work no good, <laughs> which I really wish they had kind of stuck with because we had that that cold open with Andy and the baby talk before. Yeah, uh, it would have been funny to see him sort of revert to that a little bit with his ear injured. So Angela in the episode mentions pet day and Angela Kinsey in the commentary mentions that this was actually really exciting because in season one, there was an unshot episode. It was written, but never shot called pet day. And everyone was going to bring their pets, and it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Angela was going to bring her cats, and there were going to be dogs and all the pets. But they never ended up shooting it, so kind of fun. And so Dunder Mifflin used to have a pet day. That's crazy to me too that they actually wrote an episode and never shot it. So I wonder if there are any more yeah. just like random office scripts sitting around somewhere that were never filmed. And can we have? Yeah, them? please. <laughs> <laughs> They point out in the commentary that Joe walks in with different dogs than what we've seen in the past, back in like season six, when she was first introduced. And their sort of explanation was Joe accessorizes her outfits to her dogs. And so, uh, or dogs to her outfits. And so these dogs happened to match what she was wearing this time. And the dogs before were matching the outfit she was wearing then. And so... That that was their explanation, at least. Yeah, they kind of likened her to a, a baby Oprah. Lots of money, <laughs> lots of dogs. Yeah. They talk about Dwight admitting his mistake to Joe. When a character like Dwight does the tiniest human thing, a tiny emotional thing, it means so much. So 
when he did make that admission of guilt. There are a lot of human moments for Dwight in this episode, but they did mention that it was such a big deal for him. Yeah, Mindy compared him to Hugh Laurie. I think she was referring to the character of House, who, mm. somebody who just doesn't work well with people, but his desire to succeed at his job conflicts with that. The scene with Dwight massaging Kevin was originally going to be much more subtle, like Kevin just trying to get Dwight to do some of his work or something like that. But they decided they needed something big and crazy to tip Dwight over the edge and convince him that he had to confess to Joe. And so that's how it turns into the really intense massaging thing. And they said that you can hear when Dwight bends over Kevin uh, from the filing cabinet that you hear a cracking sound. And they they said they like freaked out on set because they thought they had broken Brian Baumgartner's back. But he was fine. But it was, it was just a loud crack. This was interesting. Uh, Greg Daniels in the first season said that he never wanted Jim to be the best man at Dwight's wedding and vice versa. He said they're predominantly co-workers and I added frenemies. Mm -hmm. So when one of them does something nice like Jim does for Dwight in this episode, it means a lot. But they have to be really careful when they do these scenes because they want it to be a moment of humanity without milking it at all. It's a real moment. It's not like buddy, buddy, we're best friends because they're not. Right. Uh, and last one for me, at least, I love the confirmation that the copier scenes, which we, I don't think we mentioned earlier, uh, since everybody has their own personal 21 digit copier code, Kevin is really bad at this. And so he's holding up the copier line and we see Kevin or we see Angela reading out his copier code to him one number at a time. And Kevin is just sort of like, sticking his tongue out between his lips, like really focusing, trying to get each number exactly right. And he still messes it up. And those scenes are improvised. And it that, that's just so funny to me. And that was all I had as well. Great. Well, getting into our discussion topic, Dwight made one poor decision. Michael made many, 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 many poor decisions. Dwight was only manager for a week before he was removed. And Michael left willingly after 14 years as manager. <laughs> Do you think it's because Joe didn't know Michael at his worst? And do you think Dwight should have been given another chance? I do think that Joe did not know Michael at his worst. Mm -hmm. I also cannot off the top of my head imagine a time where Michael put people in physical danger. However, Dwight has now put people twice in physical danger. One being he gave Stanley a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And now the gun. I don't think Joe knows about that, but. Dwight has a tendency to have some physical uh, elements to his bad decisions. Should he be given a second chance? I don't think yet. Okay. I think it would be far too soon. I mean, yes, it was an accident, but that seems like an awfully stupid thing to do <laughs> is swing a gun by the trigger guard and hope it doesn't go off when you're going to be pressing the trigger. I, I'm going to say not not yet. He needs to prove his stability and maturity before he can be trusted, I think. Okay, kind of a follow-up question. Joe says, you don't fit this job. And that makes it sound like she's considering more factors than just this one incident. Do you have any idea mm. what those other factors could be? I didn't consider that because I thought she was taking it solely from from the one incident. See, I would have thought that at first as well, but it's just the fact that she says, you don't fit this job. 
Like, right. is it really predicated on whether or not you fire a gun in the office? I mean, again, that's a stupid thing to do. Dwight was really stupid in handling the gun he, the way he did. Really just having it out in the office, period, was really stupid and a poor lapse in judgment. But I don't think him making that one mistake makes him incapable of being a good manager, you know? Right. And so when she says, you don't fit this job, it just seems to me like she's considering more factors than just this one mistake he's made. It does seem that way, but I don't know what they would be at this point. And I don't want to, I don't know, as as we are still in the hunt for a new manager, I don't want to talk too much about it, Okay. lest we give anything away. But I don't know what else she could be referring to, given Dwight's character that she knows right now. Well, I mean, we do have to consider the fact that Dwight wasn't even her first choice for acting manager. And True. so... Maybe it was never her intent to have him stay in the position for long anyways. And this was just confirmation that she was right about that and that she was right about Jim having been a better choice. But I don't know. I'm trying to think of specific circumstances that Joe would like pieces of information that Joe would be privy to. Maybe she's had conversations with people about Dwight's past. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe maybe Michael talked to her about something. Yeah. Now, before we completely wrap up, we do have a couple of voicemails to listen to. First up is from Colin from Missouri. Hey, guys, it's Colin again from Missouri. Uh, I know this is the last episode with Michael Scott. Um, I was just kind of curious as to what your guys' favorite out of the every season that he's in it is. What's your favorite uh, Michael Scott moment? Mine has to probably be this episode. Whenever he gives Oscar the scarecrow, it just loses it. I feel like that was actually Steve Carell. Uh, I I don't know. I feel like it was Steve Carell just laughing about the whole situation because it is priceless. And his response to Oscar just taking the scarecrow, I feel, was priceless. So, yeah, I'm curious as to what your guys' favorite uh, Michael Scott moment was from The Office. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, so we sort of answered the initial question last week uh, with our best and worst Michael moments. So let's sort of change the question to what is one of our funniest Michael Scott moments? Or you can list a couple if you're having trouble thinking about it. I think, I don't know, it's so difficult. Um, But the first thing that came to mind was I declare bankruptcy. (laughs) That one always makes me laugh. Or really, like like Colin mentioned, anytime Michael is so pleased with himself that he laughs so hard, like like that scarecrow thing. Um, it's just it's so I, I I like seeing his like veil lifted and his like little kid heart, you know. But yes, I think I declare bankruptcy might be my today might be my favorite funny moment for Michael. I'll confess, I looked up a funniest Michael Scott moments list <laughs> while we were listening to the voicemail um, yeah, I did too. i mean anytime his michaelisms that we've always referred to where he like screws up the word only slightly that was always make me laugh like uh when he says webster's dictionary defines wedding as the fusing of two metals with a hot torch well i think you two are metals <laughs> gold medals <laughs> like he's messed up the multiple <laughs> words there it, that's so funny and uh even times when he is super mean to Toby. Like some of them are just mean, mean, but like there's one where he says, you want to hear a lie? I think you're great. You're my best friend. (laughs) just like stuff like that where he's being so straight faced, but he's 
also being inc- incredibly rude in that instance or let's see one more i'll mention when they're doing fun run in season four and he's given up on the the side of the road or side of the sidewalk and he says you don't know me you've just seen my penis <laughs> yeah there's so many like small things that michael does that are so funny and it's in the moments when he's not trying to be funny that the funniest yeah okay thank you colin for that voicemail and we have one more from Corey from oregon hey Jordan, Katie. this is Corey from oregon uh just a qu- quick question about uh your recent discussion uh goodbye michael um not sure why pam goes to the movie theater and i'm not sure if they mentioned that in the episode i i've seen it multiple times and i, I can't recall anything and i've seen the deletes everything um and it just seems kind of odd. The only thing I can uh, correlate it with is that it's, you know, the camera pans out and it shows that it's playing, uh, it's playing Teen Speech. Um, and that's when Michael is trying to help D'Angelo overcome his speech problems, his public speaking problems, um, by using Teen Speech techniques. Uh, but it does, doesn't really make sense why Pam would just go to a movie theater uh, when she knows Michael is supposedly leaving the following day. Um, and that it's his, you know, second to last day and their relationship and everything. Um, all right. Thanks for, for uh, what you do. Keep it up. Okay. So basically, Corey is wondering why did Pam go to the movie theater when she knew that Michael was leaving? And I mean, simple answer, I think, is that it was just emphasizing the fact that everybody thought that Michael was leaving tomorrow. It was really a nonchalant kind of day. Yeah, they were planning for Michael to be gone. But Pam figures, well, I'm out of the office. Might as well take advantage of the afternoon. Sure, I'll go see a movie because I'm going to see Michael and say goodbye to him tomorrow. So I think that's basically as simple as the answer gets. Did you have anything to add to that, Katie? Yeah, that was the gist of it. It it wasn't going to be a big Michael day today. That was all tomorrow. The The party was tomorrow. And she was out. She had some time to kill. I don't fault her at all for going to see a movie. I mean, besides, you know, <laughs> like HR might have a problem with it, but I don't. Other than that, I don't think it was anything that, like, she she didn't suspect Michael yeah. was leaving today. So. so, thanks for calling in with that question. And we hope to hear more voicemails from other people in the future. And you'll hear our voicemail information in just a moment. And that brings us to the end of our official 81st episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. Please continue going over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. We so appreciate any feedback we get on there. And any contact over there helps uh, have us reach more listeners on Apple Podcasts. So we really appreciate all of that. If you care to send us an email with any feedback or ideas or just saying hi, you can contact us at workplacepod at gmail.com. And you can leave us a voicemail to be heard on the show. Uh, Leave it less than a minute and try and keep it focused and specific so that we can answer your question or uh, respond to what you're saying easily. The number is 93-PRETZ-DAY. That is 93-P-R-E-T-Z-D-A-Y or 937-738-9329. And if you're international, you can call. You just have to add the plus one at the beginning. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623, probably the best place. Or you can find me on facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find 
where other podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. All show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. We did get a new patron on Patreon this week. Thank you. Shout out to Corey. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams every week, check out our Patreon page. Pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 81 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 82 for our discussion on the final episode of season seven, Search Committee. Bye. Bye. And so he says, yeah, I can do the Michael Jackson, or no, <laughs> the Michael Jordan <laughs> dunk. <laughs>